God is good. Mark Twain said something interesting. He said, the two most important days of your life are the day that you were born and the day that you find out why you were born. Great statement, isn't it? Two great days of your life is the day that you were born and the day that you find out why you were born. Today we want to talk in this month's series, we want to talk about purpose and calling and how important it is. This is the youth devotional booklet that uh, Pastor Heidi and the team put together. Fantastic uh, booklet for the youth and uh, the uh, life groups as well. Uh, we'll have a book, similar booklet to talk this month about purpose and calling and how important it is that a church, a community of people would have purpose in their life, a calling on their life and to some degree feel like we're fulfilling that. Today I want to talk about purpose, calling and privilege. How important those three are to work together today to appreciate the strength of God to our life, to find purpose. How many people know your life comes alive when you find purpose? Yeah, it does. You find, this is the reason why I'm alive. And I love that sort of stuff. We're looking at this morning at the early stages of the Bible of a guy called Noah. This morning we're talking about what purpose means, what calling means, and what it looks like and what it feels like to a large degree. Uh, around Genesis uh, 6, you'll know the story quite well. We understand the practical side of it. The purpose is why you are here. Your calling is how you live it. Purpose is why you're on the planet. Your calling is how you live that purpose out. And so there are clarity things that we need to get in our hearts and heads before we get going because we uh, realize that we are called to do things, that God calls us by name to do things. And we're going to unpack it a little bit. Some people get calling and purpose, uh, just bam, it just hits them. Other people, it's unpacked a little bit. We talked about last Sunday morning, didn't we? A little bit here, a little bit there, line upon line, precept upon precept. That's how God builds our life. That's why I say in an apostolic type mentality, when you're part of something that has an apostolic thing, you can't miss out. Because it could be the little bit could be today, the little bit could be tomorrow, the little bit could be tonight. When you see your life grow and are built to say, I'm a person, as a young person, or I'm a person in life that wants to find God's calling for my life. I want to find God's calling. It doesn't matter what age or what stage of life I'm at. I want to know God's calling for my life. Am I living that out? Am I living the fruitfulness of that? Am I enjoying the grace of God calling me into purpose and into a calling in that particular way and how I live that life? Uh, why is that important? Because there's so many people today walking around with uh, what they call mental health issues. They don't know why they're here. They don't know who they are. They don't know where they're going. They don't know where they came from. And as we take the Bible or prayer out of school or we do those things, then people are devoid of, of knowing the truth. It's, it's further away from them. They don't, they don't ask the questions because they don't know the question to ask. They don't know the answers. And so it's important, I suppose, that we're people that when people meet us, they feel purpose, that we are hope carriers to those people. We've talked about that in the past. That we carry hope to those people. Go, hey, there is a way to live. There is a purpose. There is a plan. There is an understanding that God actually has for marriages and individuals and so on and so forth, the people who do that. In Genesis 6, it talks about the process of the flood. We had the answers in Genesis people here recently. Creation people here, they were fantastic, weren't they? Yep, talking about how your husband is not two million years old, like he feels sometimes. He's a little bit younger than that. And so we start to appreciate there is a, a purpose and a calling. And here we understand the early part of the Bible that God uh, 
creates people and creates the Garden of Eden. Adam sins and messes up the whole thing. Uh, and then uh, the people are let loose to do what they want to do to a large degree. And uh, the Bible says they got themselves into a state of violence. It was, the, the earth was violent. How many people know when people don't know what they're doing, don't know what they're meant to do, they get anxious, they get frustrated. When they get frustrated, they get angry. When they get angry, they get violent. It's a very easy process to do. Uh, and so it is in life. It's, it's very true, very common today that people get violent. And uh, violence is one of the biggest things over our city, as you notice, uh, domestic violence. And so it is, these people got violent. God goes, this is a culmination of you living a certain way. And God says, I'm going to flood the earth. We know the story, don't we? Yeah. And God floods the earth and, uh, and so on and so forth. It's called uh, the flood, the great flood. And it happened. And then God says to a guy called Noah, Noah, I want you to build an ark. Noah didn't know what an ark was because there was no such thing as boats, so to speak. So I don't know about you, but when God calls you to do something, you sometimes don't know what it looks like. Uh-huh. You pioneer that. We're pioneering our youth program at the moment. We, we believe God's called us to do something. We don't know how to, who to ring to ask how to do it because no one's ever done it before. <laughs> And so we start to see, uh, Noah's, uh, the, we know the story of the ark, with the ark it was built in such measurements, God gave Noah specific measurements, he wasn't just making it up, and ships, I think, right the way up till uh, the Second World War, I think it was, were all made off the same measurement or calculations, because it was, uh, the, the buoyancy of the boat actually kept, uh, kept it afloat and, uh, and very sharp and very accurate in its dimensions, and so very powerful when you think about it, so violence is on the planet. God says to Noah, I'm going to flood the earth. They hadn't seen rain, so it never rained, and they'd never seen a boat before because they did So this is a big thought, isn't it? And God says to Noah, I want you to do this. Uh, and uh, Noah goes, I'm really excited about this, God. Let's look at some of the qualifications. Genesis 6, 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why did God pick Noah? This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man. Perfect in his generations, Noah worked with God. First thing you have to do to be called of God is you have to be perfect. We're all in trouble now. Huh? The word blameless essentially means he had a good reputation, but it means more than that in the Hebrew. It means this. He was a man who knew how to hold nothing back from God. He was a man who knew how to hold nothing back. We talked the other month about being a servant. People say sometimes, look, I don't want to help out in the such and such because I don't feel it's my calling. I don't feel it's my gifting. My personality profile doesn't line up to that. And God goes, I'm called you to be a servant, to serve. And where you start sometimes is not where you finish. And so we understand something that he was a man who knew how to hold nothing back. He was blameless in the sight of God. And Noah walked with God. Verse 13, it backs up what I said. And God said to Noah, the end of the flesh has come before me and the earth is filled with What's your Bible say? Violence, that's it, good. Through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And it goes on and says, in verse 18, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, your sons and your wife and your sons and your with you. And every living thing of all flesh shall be there. How many animals of every kind went on the ark? They went on the ark two by two. Is that right? No, it's not. No. <laughs> Seven of every clean, two of every unclean. Would that be right? 
Read that later. Bible study. That's why you need to go to a, say it, Heidi, life group. So we can learn those sort of things. And why did God do it that way? But he said, I'll establish my covenant with you. God establishes this covenant with Noah. In this relationship, God worked with Noah. Noah walked with God. And the understanding, as we've said often, is that we have this covenant relationship that God needed Noah to understand what a covenant relationship was. How many people know God knows what it means? Uh-huh. And so it is, this covenant relationship is very, very powerful. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know about you, but I don't have a problem helping out my children. Uh-huh. Sometimes there's nothing you wouldn't do for your... <laughs> Help the preacher. Someone guess something. There's nothing you wouldn't do for your own family, your own children. Why is that? That, you know, like you, you look at Tess, she's got a head. She's got two arms and she's got two legs. She's not much different to my daughter who has a head and two arms and two legs. Uh-huh. Well, what's the difference? She looks a little bit different, but that's okay. Julia looks different to you. <laughs> what's the difference? It's the blood. She doesn't have my blood. So I'm committed to look after my own family because of the blood that flows through her life. And so the same thing is with God. As a father, he's committed to look after us because it's the same blood, the blood of Jesus, that flows through our hearts towards him. And so as a father, we don't have a relationship with God. Let's correct that. We have a covenant relationship with God. Uh huh. And that's why we feel obligated and we do help our families out. Why? Because of the blood. And so God is committed to helping. This is really basic 101 sort of new Christians teaching, but uh, God is committed to us because of the blood of Jesus that covers our life, that when we said yes to Jesus, God covers our sin with the blood, and we agree with the blood, we celebrate and enjoy what the blood of Jesus brings us, true? The true freedom in, in life. And so it is, I believe, even in community, when we have communion together today, we decide to have a covenant relationship with the body of Christ, the local church, and we're in, we're in covenant together. When people choose not to be in covenant, then they move out of the covering that is there. That's why it's difficult sometimes because I, I thought we're in covenant together. You see, it's just like us as a church. We, I believe, are responsible to look after those people who we're in covenant with. The Bible says the senior pastor will give account to God to how well he looks after those people. Just like we'll give an account to God to how well we receive the benefits of walking in the kingdom in that way. And, and so it is, we're in this covenant blood relationship. And God says to Noah, you know, you're, gonna, you're in your family, we're in covenant together. I think the devil's been very good at, at, at messing this up so we don't truly understand what covenant actually really is. You know, we talk about communion, but we have communion together. We didn't have communion with the guy down the street. We had it together this morning. We're in a covenant relationship. And in covenant, it actually means, God actually means this. When he understands covenant, it means this. Everything that's God's is yours, but everything that's yours is God's. When Jane and I, on the, the uh, 28th of November at 4.30 in the afternoon, at Early Street Historical Village Gardens, exchanged vows, and I made a vow, and I said, Jane, everything that's mine is yours, and everything that's yours is mine. I'd said that before God and entered into a blood covenant relationship together. 
and nothing's changed. You understand? And so I, it's, we, don't have joint, we, ha, we don't have joint bank accounts. We don't have separate bank accounts and that because of the trust that we have because of the covenant of God. And so therefore, it's the same as a church. The, the church leadership and everything, we're committed to helping and supporting the best way that we can with the resources that we have to those who are in, blood, in covenant with us as a body of Christ in this local area. And these things are fairly important, I, I suppose, that we understand so we can receive the benefits of the covenant like many, many people do. And God's saying to Noah here, but I will establish my covenant with you. How many people know, as it said, it's not God's understanding, it's us understanding the covenant that's the most important. I think God gets it, don't you? Uh-huh. And, and he goes and talks about this, and we work through this, this whole process. So I suppose covenant and relationship are really, really important to life's purpose. I, I remember once I was uh, minding my own business, as you usually are with God, and he speaks to you very clearly. Like I'd imagine he spoke to Noah that day. Noah! <laughs> Noah's driving down the road in his Volkswagen. And, and, and God says, Noah! I want you to build an ark. Who is that? <laughs> it's God speaking to me. What's an ark? What's a flood? All these questions. I, I was minding my own business one day, and God said to me, talking about life's purpose, he said to me, he said, I want you to be an encourager. I wrote it the time and the date that he spoke to me in the back of my old Bible. I've had it recovered now, but I want to be encouraged. You know what you say? When you say, God, I thought you'd give me something better. <laughs> like encourager. Like, seriously, encourage you. What about, I want you to be like Noah. Save the world. <laughs> you know? Uh, but he, he, I just want you to be, and then God, I said, God, really? He said, no, no, I want you, I'm going to teach you and train you how to be able to put courage in other people's hearts. Wow. And Greg Cumming came and said, I'm not sure, Pastor Stuart, I think about going into another nation to be able to plant a school there. I said, Greg, I want to help you. I want to partner with you. We'll be in covenant together. We see what God has done. I remember another guy. He was as goofy as all get out. Goofy. He looked like a Texan maniac. Come out of pool rooms. Father owned pool rooms. He was a hustler in the pool room. He said, I, he was in our church for a while. I saw him and I saw him bringing carloads of people to church. He was out every night witnessing to people. He gets seven people saved a night at a servo on a skateboard. Makes sense? He said, I feel God's stirring my heart. I said, I believe in you. Will you come and work with me? I employed him as the first guy to employ him. I said, I believe in you. I want to train you. I want to help you how to be able to put strategy and structure to your, to your passion. Today, they will not run the cricket in Melbourne without this guy being there and his ministry being there because the incident rate at the cricket is lower because he's there. It's called Red Frogs. International ministry. Uh -huh. Because someone in an atmosphere of faith found their calling, but also found by being in covenant with someone could actually supercharge, so to speak, the vision because of their commitment to the local church. And those they were, God had called them to be in covenant with. I'm not called to be in covenant with any other woman in this city or this town or this planet than Jane. Uh-huh. I'm not called at this stage to be in covenant with any other people on the planet other than you guys as your senior pastor. 
Tomorrow it might be different. Next week it might be different. But right now, I know, but I know, but I know that God has called me to. I know, but I know, but I know that I'm called to be Jane's husband right now. I'm called to it. My life's purpose. We, we, we said calling is the character. The character of it. How well I do that, but how well I do it, oftentimes is based upon how much I understand the covenant. She is my person. I don't drive into 20 driveways on the way home. I don't have six options. I don't turn up at your house for tea. Uh-huh. You know, why? Because this is my tribe. This is my family. This is what God's called me. This is my blood. And these are the ones that God has called me. And I think the devil's been very good at robbing us from that understanding of covenant relationship. That we stick with each other through thick and thin. And then when the pressure's on, friend, there's pressure at the top. There's pressure in leadership. There's pressure in what God has called me to do. And any senior pastor and anyone in leader, uh, Doug would allude to some of the things we're talking about, and you would too. Stephen would too. The pressure of that. But, the friend, the pressure in that has to take second seat, has to take back seat, has to take second fiddle when you know you're called. Because when you know you're called, you can't be pushed around. You can't do it. You can't be pushed around. It's, it, it, when you know you're called, you, it's not whether you can do it or not. When you're called, it's not whether you can do it or not. It's whether you can sit at home and not do it. That's the difference. That's the character of the call in Christ Jesus because he puts that character. When he calls you, he calls you by name. It's not, hey, you. He calls you by name. If he knows the numbers of your hair on your head right now that you don't even know, that I don't even know, he surely knows your name. And so these are some of the strengths in, in the early part of the calling. It's, it's so important to understand some of those things that, uh, that grips us in such a, a real, real, real way. And here we have this Noah, and, and Noah in chapter uh, 7. The floodwaters are raging. Noah's been witnessing to people for 120 years. He hasn't won anyone to Christ. I think he needs to go back to uh, the Bible school or wherever he needs to go back to learn a different strategy for preaching or something. But 120 years of preaching, he hasn't won anybody, only his own family. And God, uh, you know, has it, this, this rain starts to come and the floods start to come and the ark starts to be there, uh, you know, and it starts to obviously pivot a little bit and start to get a little bit buoyant. The Bible says the, the door is shut and no man could open it because God shuts it. I could imagine the nail claws and the scratching that was pouring down there. You go, hey, <laughs> you said it'd rain. Uh, we didn't even know. No, no, no. And, and here, here's the rain coming and, and you're closing the gate and we can't get in. <laughs> this is the way God did it. And all the animals are there, and it's, the time is shut. The time is finished. It's now a change. And all the things that were prophetically set in place are now set in place, and they're actually happening before their eyes. And chapter 7-1 is probably one of the greatest scriptures that God encouraged me about in these early days of the calling, because in, in the New Testament, it says actually the, the go thing, you know, go, <laughs> go into all the world, go. <laughs> and sometimes when we hear the word go, sometimes we think I'm losing, losing and leaving my resource base. I'm leaving my uh, place of support. I'm leaving my place of encouragement. I'm leaving my place of praise and worship. I'm, I'm leaving all these things to go out into this barren land. And I know we're pioneering churches. That was our struggle. You, you, you know, we're in a church of around 6,000 people. And, and all of a sudden, God says, Go. <laughs> And then you're pioneering and you've got nothing. <laughs> you know, you try and find a muso and you find a muso and encourage them, invite them over for tea and talk to them. And said, how would you like to help out in the praise and worship? And every muso knows another muso. 
oh, I've got a mate who'll probably come and help me. He plays the keyboards and I play guitar and I can sing a bit and go, great. And then the other muso knew someone else and all of a sudden you've got three musos there and all of a sudden there's a little bit of a sound and all of a sudden one of them's got a heart for God and they start singing loud and the presence of God starts to come. People go, I love being here and I love that. And then I preach and do the announcements and then I do the communion and then I run to clean the toilets and then you run back to pour the coffees. and you, you know, when you're starting out, you do everything. But it builds, and God builds his church. And we've, Jane and I built a few like that of just pioneering. Because when God calls you, it's not whether you can do it. It's whether you can sit at home and not do it. And so he called us out of this secure place. Noah's in a pretty secure place. But all of a sudden, the nest is getting a little bit ruffled. And the flood's starting to come. And things that God had prophesied were going to happen that a lot of people didn't believe are starting to happen. They're happy with their violence. And all of a sudden it's happened and all of a sudden the gates, the door's shut and they can't get on. But in reflection to what's happening here is this. is you notice in chapter 7, when the Lord, and, and all this is about to happen and the, the drawbridge is about to close. And the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, you and your household, because I've seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. This isn't about everybody else. This is about his family well, you know, the world's going to hell. Well, so is your own family if you keep talking like that. That's for me and my house, you know. And, and, and so the cool part of this is this. If God was speaking to Noah to come, where was God? If he's saying, Noah, I want you to come onto the ark, come. Where's God? He's in the ark. God is in the ark. When God is calling you, he's calling you to himself. Into his presence, into his purpose. He's calling you close to himself. Why is that? So he can whisper in your ear. So he can hold your hand. So he can cuddle you and say it's going to be okay. And that's the cool thing about being called. He calls you to himself. And holds you. And he gives you the confidence and the courage to go on and to do it and to keep doing it. Because why? We're called. And we need all of God to fulfill the call. And it's the beautiful part of this whole story, I think, that Noah himself is called into the presence of God. In New Testament, Jesus turns up and he said, I'm Emmanuel. What's Emmanuel mean? The God with us. Noah's not doing this by himself for God. He's not off, God, I'm doing this for you. Yes, sir. Absent of the presence of God. He's in the fullness of the presence of God, serving God. Because why? Because God has called him, but where has he called him? To himself. And that is such a warming feeling if you've ever stepped up to the plate when God has tapped you on the shoulder and says, come on. I'm not in Doug and Melissa, we're on here this morning, but it's not about leaving Melbourne. 
It's all about coming into the presence of God. It's all about coming into a place that he has positioned for you, that he has ordained for you to be. There's no other place that you would be happy being other than in the presence of God where there's fullness of joy. It's not about going to Cairns from Melbourne. It's about coming to the presence of God. It wasn't about leaving Egypt for the, Egypt, for the Israelites. It was about going into the presence of God. They just had to leave Egypt to get to the promised land. It was about going in, not coming out. And many people today in their faith have come out of the world, but they haven't gone in to the presence of God or the purpose of God. Because they haven't seen or they're not brave enough to embrace the presence. The Bible says the, the, the fear of God is clean. You'll leave your pornography at the door. You'll leave those issues behind. Leave your attitudes behind. Leave your ambition behind. What was, what was Noah? Let's recap. Noah was a man who knew how to hold nothing back from God. The Bible says that he was a man, one translation says he was a man who had soil running through his fingers. Probably means he was a farmer one day. And God picked him up. And Noah steps into covenant and was a man who decided that he couldn't resist the presence of God. I want to go in. He got all these animals and stuff, pressure. Situations, circumstances. Imagine the heartache that he'd probably feel going, I've left Bill behind, I've left Fred behind, I left that other guy, my neighbor behind, I left, man, they're all, all drowning. They say drowning is probably one of the most peaceful ways to go. And yet they all drown. Generation after generation. How would you feel? Because your evangelism failed? Just you and your own family. They're on this responding to the call of God. It tells us one thing, sadly, sometimes leading can be lonely, but you're never alone. Leadership can be lonely, but you're never alone. And you need to decide the difference or decipher the difference if you're going to follow the call of God. This morning, this is just some of my ideas of walking in the call of God for over 30 years now. I realized one day God said to me, I've called you to myself. Uh-huh. He said to me one day, and I'm just helping you as someone that looks like a keyboardist, Julie, thank you. He said to me one day, he said, uh, I now want you to be an encourager, but also want you now. And I said, God, what are you calling me to? He said, I want you to be a person who fixes things. And I go, really? Fixes things? Really? Fixes things. What a is that important? <laughs> Maybe they want to be called something important. <laughs> Don't you? Want you to be prime minister? Oh yeah. You know, I want you to be dean of the Bible college. Oh yeah, that's good. I want you to be senior pastor. Sometimes God calls you to simple things, but they're real things, but they're the right things. And the Lord said to me, he said, I want you to be a person who fixes things. And I said, really? And then he said this, like Jesus. Oh. Like Jesus. 
fix the sin problem. Fix the sickness problem. Fix the healing problem. Fix the lost problem. Like Jesus. I thought, oh God, I'm so smashed right now. And uh, embarrassed. Because you called me to do something, to, to fix things. See, God's called all of us in some way, shape or form. It's not the problem of God knowing it. It's the problem of you knowing it. So your hearts can be united. So when, you, when He calls you to come again to Himself, you're not uncomfortable in His presence. Noah was blameless. What does that mean? He didn't feel guilt or shame or, God, you know. He knew how to hold nothing back from God. It's part of His leadership, but it's also part of His followership. He'd been doing something else, but God calls him to a great cause. And I don't know about you, but... Matt, that's such a job to build an ark. And you've got all these specific measurements. That makes it easier, I suppose, doesn't it? But on the other hand, it's like go through wood and you've got to find bitumen and stuff like that. Then you've got to witness at night, get out in the streets and tell people about what God's going to do. Everyone thinks you're a nutter. Uh huh. But you know what? I'm called. And that's all that matters. I'm called. Sorry. I'm called. If you've ever been in that place, I'm called to be a dad. Better do a good job of that. I'm called to be a man. And God only expects one thing from me as a man. You know what that is? Manhood. I'm called to be living on the planet right now. I'm not going to debate that for 50 years of my life and waste it. I'm called. When the going gets tough and I don't know what to do and it's a struggle right at that moment, I'm thinking, man, I'm freaking out. I don't know what the answer is. All I have to know is one thing. I'm called. And God equips those who are called. Why? Because He's close to them. Because we've come into His presence. Father, we thank You this morning. God, I've found you always warm our hearts in this church. You warm our, our hearts to your goodness, to your grace, to your mercy, to your simplicity, to your relevance, to your genuineness, God. You're constantly reminding us, exciting us, leading us, inspiring us, preparing us step up and step in and step on to what you've called us to do. And one thing, Lord, I sense you're doing often through this church is building a confidence, a fresh confidence weekly, daily. That you're a righteous God, a good God, a genuine God, and a relevant God this hour. Help us play our part well. Help me play my part well, God. To fix things. To be an encourager. Help us, we pray, Father. See what you see. Live like Jesus. Over and over and over again.